with the 20th pick in the NFL Draft, the Philadelphia Eagles select. You're listening to the Journey to the Draft podcast, presented by AAA. Every athlete has a journey. Focus on the game. Let us worry about getting you there. Auto repair, roadside assistance, and auto insurance. Start your journey at AAA.com. All right, ladies and gentlemen, we are 13 weeks in to the Journey to the Draft podcast presented by AAA. I'm Chris McPherson, joined alongside, as always, by Fran Duffy. And uh, I know you're getting sad. It's that time of year where the college football slate starts to dwindle down. Yep. You're focusing on the big matchup. It's conference championship weekend yep. coming up. You know, it was sort of like elimination. It was almost like a like a precursor round, like a, like a opening round preliminaries this week. Yeah, and then this is uh, this almost served as like a this coming weekend almost serves as a play in weekend exactly. for, for the playoff. But the full slate of college football Saturdays has come to an end, which is very very sad to see. Well, what are you going to do with your Saturdays, Fran? You got to spend time with your wife and your dog. I mean, I did that actually. I did that this week, but <laughs> you know, it is what it is. So. uh the college football playoff picture starting to get clearer uh, right now. Entering this past weekend, Clemson, Alabama, Oklahoma, and Iowa were the top four teams. Three of them have conference title games ahead of them. The one that does not is Oklahoma, no Big 12 title game. And then the number five team coming into the week, we don't know by this point. We're recording on Monday afternoon, so we don't have the updated uh, CFP standings. But the number five team coming into the week was Michigan State. And guess what? They have Iowa in the Big Ten Championship. So certainly if they win, they, they should be in. They have a chance. Yeah, good, uh, good chance. Do you envision any odd scenario where an Ohio State or someone who's on the outside looking in? I mean, the big thing is Notre Dame lost, Baylor lost, uh, you know, a couple of those teams that Michigan, teams that might have had a slim chance kind of got knocked on the to the wayside. Yeah, I, I think in order for that to happen, you would need both. And you would need both of these to happen. You would need Stanford to lose to USC, and you would need Florida to beat Alabama. <clears throat> if, you, if you had both of those things happen, then you're just creating chaos at that yeah. point. You know Oklahoma's in. Uh, you would assume that Clemson beats North Carolina. And again, that's, well, that's where you can kind of get in. Okay, well, if North Carolina wins too, oh, now you're just really, really clouding this picture. Because um, now you're opening the door for all one-loss teams. So... Uh, look, it's going to be a big weekend for college football, and we'll see how things shake out. All right, so uh, we're going to start things off this week with our draft buzz segment. Uh, some players declaring that they are going to leave college for the NFL. Uh, also, some all-star game invitations. We'll look at Fran's Saturday scouting column. And a little bit later, pick six, and it's going to be six players who will be featured in this conference championship weekend. And, of course, last but certainly not least, your draft mailbag. So we're going to kick things off with a little... Draft Buzz. Now it's time for Draft Buzz. All right. uh, For this week's edition of Draft Buzz, we'll start with Fran's Saturday scouting column. Yes. And unfortunately, don't really want to delve into this game. Stanford, Notre Dame. Yes. Very tough loss for you guys. Uh you know, I can't even say me guys. Not like I went to school. I went to Drexel. There's no football team. I grew up like in Notre Dame. That's most the most Notre Dame fans are that's, that way. That's exactly so. <laughs> uh, sort almost sort of being like a cockroach fan too. Almost, to extent. Yeah. yeah. I, I didn't I, go there. I, was I, go. I understand I was it. I, I understand right. it. The pro- Hey, growing up, look, Rutgers was nothing. Um, yeah, that's. I'm like trying <laughs> to think of other. Let you off the hook. It's all right. Nonetheless. Uh, 
phenomenal game, except for the end result. But the matchup you were looking at in particular really actually didn't take place because CJ Procise was not able yeah, to play. He was, he was he was up in the air right, going yeah. in because he he had missed two weeks ago against Wake, and then he came back against Boston College, which uh, has one of the best run defenses in the league. And he was and he was able to kind of tough that out. Knew he was banged up, so I knew there was a chance that he couldn't play, but still felt the need to talk about him because there's a lot of buzz about Procise. Certainly. So you were looking in particular the matchup with Blake Martinez, the Cardinal linebacker. So uh, if you want to delve into Procise's game first and foremost, how do you think that it's that Notre Dame backfield has been so crazy where this is they're down to their number three running back now for the season? And that's what's funny is that with uh, you know coming into the year, everyone was was focused on Falston, the Torian Falston ended up tearing his ACL. Uh, over the summer, so now you've got Procise, who was a converted wide receiver, long legs, kind of raw in terms of his running ability, but really explosive. Has great top end speed. Has the ability to make people miss. Just a really phenomenal athlete. They flex him out and play him in the slot. He can run routes as a wide receiver. They can do all different kinds of things with him. The question I saw in person at Temple, and then also going back and watching these guys, when things aren't clear for him in the pocket, you know, not in the pocket, but when things aren't aren't clear for him when he's approaching the line of scrimmage. He tends to stutter his feet. He can st- sometimes will stop his feet outright. You can't do that in the NFL. You're not going to get away with doing that. Uh, it's an issue we talked about often last year with Melvin Gordon, and that has continued to plague him so far his rookie season with the San Diego Chargers. So that'll be an interesting thing to see how far you know that hurts Procise. But I've heard some people think Procise could go in the top 40 picks. I mean, he, the, wow. you know, he's got legit athleticism. So uh, very interesting to see how this all pans out for him. Still has another year of eligibility, so it could decide even to go back since he's only got one year of running back uh, under his belt. But that's where you got with Procise, a really dynamic athlete. Just needs to refine some things, in ter- especially in terms of his vision, his decisiveness when he's hitting the hole. The Eagles part of me doesn't want to see another running back, you know, turned offensive weapon like Theo Riddick. Yeah, yeah, and that's like what we saw on Thanksgiving. It's interesting, is that you know he's he's obviously got that type of skill set. I would say he's probably you know Riddick is more quick than he is fast. Yes. This guy is much more explosive, and this he's you know look uh, Procise is quick too, but he's much more straight line explosive uh, with the ability to get downhill quickly. And what's the story on uh, Blake Martinez? You know Martinez. A lot of people talked about him as one of the top senior linebackers coming into the year, and. You know, you think Stanford middle linebacker and you kind of have an image of your mind. Okay, he's probably, you know, X, Y and Z. And so I kind of knew, you know, what I thought I had a preconceived notion of what what to expect. Instinctive, tough, physical, you know, a good blitzer. And he is a very good blitzer. Times it very well, hits it up inside, uh, hits it with physicality. And he's not afraid to come downhill. My questions with him, and this this is something that I want to see more of as I watch him from this year and then getting a chance to see him down at the Senior Bowl in, in January. He didn't come off to me as a great athlete, and I thought that he was a step slow seeing things as a junior. So uh, the instincts will be a question for me moving forward, and I do want to watch more from this year and see if that's an area where he did improve, and then also the athleticism. Those were the big questions with me coming into the year. All right, the next Saturday scouting matchup. Uh, speaking of Rutgers, Rutgers, Maryland, you wanted to feature Leonte Carew, who uh, accepted an invite to the Senior Bowl. So okay. you'll get to see him in Mobile, Alabama. Yep. Uh, he went against, went against the Terps cornerback duo that featured Sean Davis. Carew finished with seven catches for 183 yards and a touchdown. Uh, should be noted that Sean Davis did have an interception in the 46-41 to 41 Terps victory. Yeah, and, and Davis, I'll, I'll start with the Maryland corners. You know, Davis has always intrigued me, and I've been a big fan of his ever, ever since the summer. 
was a safety a year ago as a junior midway through the year, actually about two, uh, two thirds, three quarters of the way through the year, made the switch to corner. It was against Penn State. They slid him down to corner because they had some injuries there. And I thought that he showed pretty well. And then he stayed there through the offseason. Everything I had heard out of Maryland was that he had had a great spring and was going to come out in a big way his senior year. And I know that some people had kind of softened on him a little bit, that he, he didn't have a great uh, start to the season. But anytime I've watched him, I see a big kid who's physical, knows how to disrupt early in the down, has the ability to run with receivers downfield. He's got good speed. The way I've always looked at Davis, and there are a couple guys that fit this description uh, that are in this senior class, and we're going to talk about these guys moving forward, is you're either you're either going to have a really tall, long corner that has the ability to disrupt and that's and it can you know do all the different things that you want at the line of scrimmage in terms of pressing, or you have a safety who has cover skills. So you know one of those two things are going to make him a hot commodity on draft day. However you see him, uh, they're going to he's going to get drafted relatively high. So I, I like Sean Davis uh, and what he can bring to the table. So I'm excited to see him down in Mobile, and then Will Likely, who look all these juniors as is the case with all these schools that have undergone a coaching change. You know anytime you have a, a coaching change, you, you're more likely to see juniors start to declare. We'll see what happens with Likely. Very, very talented. Has been extremely productive throughout his career in Maryland, uh, especially as a returner. I, I, I put in the column. He, he had he has he's had double digit return touchdowns. Uh, you know during his career in three years, which is remarkable. His his problem is his size. He's he's five foot seven. Uh, you know, one hundred and seventy pounds soaking wet. So we'll see what happens with Likely. But Carew is a guy that some people are really high on. And I'm going to be honest, every time I've watched him, I've been left wanting a little bit more. I think that he runs pretty good routes. I think he's got solid hands. There were some questions that I had coming into the, coming into the year in terms of his toughness over the middle, his ability to take a hit in the middle of the field and work the middle because I think he is more of a slot receiver type. I don't see him as a dynamic athlete, although they feed him the ball, and he has been very, very productive when he's been on the field. He's faced some injury issues as well as he, he got suspended for an off-the-field incident. It was actually... The details of it that were alleged were pretty ugly. So uh, we'll see what happens there with that and how that affects his draft status. All right. So uh, we'll likely say? We'll likely. Come we'll, on. We'll li- you, 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 know, you know you like that. Yeah, I, mean, I did on. enjoy it, yes. Uh, next matchup here, you want to uh, Alabama-Auburn featuring tight end O.J. Howard. Yes. You know, reading the stories leading up to the game – Auburn was truly concerned that even though he's not been productive really from a number standpoint, that he is the matchup nightmare in that Crimson Tide offense. Yeah, I mean, you have O.J. Howard and Kenyon Drake. And I remember coming into the year back in August, I remember presenting the question actually to, to, to Brian Thomas on the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast. And you talked about Amari Cooper and all the targets that he got in that Alabama offense a year ago. Someone was going to have to take those targets away. And, you know, they didn't have any established veteran receivers yet at that point and some of those guys have continued to step up throughout the throughout the season here but Kenyon Drake who was a versatile running back that can do all kinds of things out of the backfield as a receiver he's a big matchup nightmare and OJ Howard who uh you know he had a big freshman year they've really counted on him as a blocker and he's been a starter for them but hasn't been a featured weapon in the passing game and I think that's continued throughout most of the year he still has not put up huge numbers but at any point, that kid is able to you know, take it to the house for a 70-yard touchdown. I mean, he showed it his true freshman year, and he's flashed it throughout his career. So I'll be interested to see what happens with Howard if he decides to come out or if he wants to stay at Alabama for one more year. But he's got the ability to be a total package because he's really come along as a blocker, and his receiving skill is also very high. I think that he's had some issues with drops throughout his career. I saw a lot of double catches as a sophomore. Hopefully that's not the case this year. We'll see if he took the next step there. But he's got the ability to be a total package. In this Iron Bowl showdown, you wanted to spotlight Auburn safety Blake Countess. 
What's the scouting report on Blake? So Countess transferred. He was at, he was at Michigan and was a, a contributor there for the past few years. Ended up transferring after Harwell got there and ended up, ended up at Auburn. Undersized for a corner, and he actually ended up playing safety. Now he's been a, he's been like kind of a free safety, play a little bit in the slot. Uh, they move him all over the field, and he I think that he he showed pretty well in the games that I've watched. I mean, he's again you're talking about a safety with cover skills, and those guys are always uh, held in pretty high regard throughout the draft process. So. Uh, I'm interested to watch more, but Countess, he's undersized, and that's going to be one of the big things. I think he's listed 5'9", five, 5'10", five, so you know we'll see and ultimately what he is. But if you've got a guy that can play safety and play nickel, I think you know some teams are going to look at that in pretty high regard. All right, your last Saturday scouting matchup featured Ohio State and Michigan. Now the Buckeyes absolutely destroyed the Wolverines 42-13. to Ezekiel Elliott had over 200 yards on the ground, 214 to be exact, and two touchdowns on 30 carries after he criticized the game plan in the loss to Michigan State. Uh, but paving the way for Elliott, Ohio State offensive lineman Pat Elfline going against Michigan defensive lineman Willie Henry. Yeah, and there were there were some interesting vines that I saw uh, on, on social media this past week of Pat Elfline just destroying people at the second level. Every time I've watched him, you know, he's just come off as this guy who's really, really tough. He's at, He's got deceptive athleticism, but he's got the, people, the ability to move people at the line of scrimmage. I, I like Elfline. I think he might be my favorite lineman on this Ohio State team. A lot of people really like Taylor Decker, the left tackle. I, I think that Decker is a nice player. I'm not ready to go all in on him as a potential top 20 pick yet. So uh, I do want to see more from Decker. He is a senior. I'm assuming he's going to be at the senior bowl. We shall see. Uh, but Elfline, who's a junior and who could declare, I think he would be one of the top interior linemen if he were to come out. What about Willie Henry? Willie Henry intrigued me too. And he's a redshirt junior, so he's got another year of eligibility. But I want to say he's 6'4", 305 pounds, 310 pounds. He's got good size. Really impressed me with his movement skills, the ability to play up and down the, the line of scrimmage. He plays sideline to sideline. They do a lot of different things with him, almost kind of like what you'll see with Fletcher Cox here in Philadelphia where you know sometimes he'll be lined up as a, as a, a three technique, sometimes he's a five, sometimes he's a two-point stance coming off the edge. I mean, they do all kinds of different things with him, move them all around the formation. Uh, it's a pro-style defense, so a lot of different things you see are easily translatable to the next level, especially if you've got a creative defensive coordinator. I think Henry's intriguing because he's got that athleticism with that size. All right, Fran, so it's fitting here on the Journey to Draft podcast presented by AAA that we, you know, being in the city of brotherly love, have some declarations. Oh, yes. To the next level. Maybe not, maybe I guess you would say of independence because they are leaving the college ranks. and That's true. Hopefully will be drafted, even though you're not really independent going in draft, but, you know, hope to be selected at the next level. And uh, two players in particular here. One, you actually already commented on Twitter, at FDuffy3, about Georgia edge rusher Leonard Floyd. And I, every time I have watched Leonard Floyd, he has been outstanding. He is, and I can't believe how few, like so many people have kind of written him off and said, oh, he's a linebacker because they moved him inside the linebacker this yep. year because they had an embarrassment of riches in the outside and they felt he could be an inside linebacker. He's an edge player. I mean, when they go to nickel, when they go to sub packages, he's rushing the passer off the corner. They do so many different things with him. And the cool thing is, is when you watch him, since he has a different role this year, you see him so often now in coverage. And he's running down the seam with slot receivers and breaking up passes 25 yards down the field against Vanderbilt. Uh, just an unbelievable athlete for the position. Does he need to get, probably needs to add a little bit of weight, especially depending on what kind of scheme he goes into at the next level. But a guy who's got the flexibility to turn the corner, he's, he shows the ability to counter once he's initially blocked. Uh, he gives effort against the run. He's a high-motor guy. 
I, I really, really like Leonard Floyd, uh, a guy that's going to be, to me, a first-round pick for sure, and he should be one of the one or two top edge players taken in the draft. Producer Brian Thomas offered his approval. Shaking his head furiously in, in the approval. background, certainly. So the, re- you know, the underrated scout here on that's the program, right. the one who knows it all. So. And the BT's going to try here, to here, Here's my hot take. All right, here you go. Let's yes. go. He's really good. <laughs> I, I, think, go. I think that's a pretty good hot take. The guy's number 84, and he yes, flashes. He does. He flashes. I, I, I remember talking about him a couple years ago, and that yeah, guy moves off the edge. That's right, because he, he really you know, made waves in his true freshman year. And now I just watching him develop, I mean, he, he is a remarkable athlete. And he had a, I want to say it was a fumble recovery for a touchdown or a pick six earlier in the year where he just outraced the entire D offense. I mean, he's, he's got unreal athleticism. I'm a big fan of this kid. Do you agree he needs to fill out a little bit? Just yes, kinda, kinda definitely. His, his body needs sure. to become a professional body. But from a skills standpoint, I mean, he can rush, rush sure. faster. No question. I mean, look, I, I liked Randy Gregory last year. I thought there were a lot of things to like. I, li- I like watching Leonard Floyd more. I enjoy watching Leonard Floyd more than I liked watching Randy Gregory a year ago. Interesting. And he was, a lot of people thought, was a top five potential pick. So. I'm interested to see how this narrative changes with Leonard Floyd, if it does at all. Well, the thing is, Gregory had off-the-field issues. No question. And, and that's, that's why, a and that's huge why he fell. reason he fell. Sure, absolutely. So, we'll see. I, I, I'm a big, big fan of Leonard Floyd. Second player to declare, Oregon wide receiver slash running back, Byron Marshall. Yes, and he, it's interesting because he, he's played a number of different positions for them, and they use him in a lot of different ways. The question that I had coming into the year was that, you have a guy who had, has had ball security issues in college. I know fumbles were an issue for him. I didn't think that he was a, uh, a really natural runner in terms of his instincts and his patience as a runner uh, you know, approaching the line of scrimmage. And so that, that was one thing that kind of gave me pause. Okay, maybe he's not a full-time back. But then when I watched him as a receiver, there were a good amount of drops. I didn't think he was a great route runner. So now you, your question is, okay, well – if he doesn't have great hands and he's not a great route runner and he's also not really the most instinctive runner and he's not uh, and he's had his, uh, he's had issues with ball security. What is he? What is he? Yeah. So ultimately, I think he can be a gadget type guy. I think he can be a guy that you can you can you know can he be Ted Ginn? You know can he be uh, one of these guys that you can move all you know DeAnthony Thomas and what how they use him in Kansas City? Uh, that will be the, so testing will be a big part. Of, you know if he can go out and run uh, you know in the high four threes and have a great you know, three cone and things like that. Now you're kind of raising your stock that way. I'll be interested to see what happens with Marshall. All right. So what we're going to do now is go through some of the top 25 results from uh, over the weekend. And Fran, if there's any prospects you want to sure. you know, note, you can feel free to go ahead. I'll jump right in. Uh, these are just games involving where both teams were ranked in the top 25. First one, uh, we mentioned Baylor dropping in the college football Playoff rankings or hopes have been diminished, and that's thanks to a 28-21 to double overtime loss to TCU. Nasty, nasty weather conditions, but uh, battling through an ankle injury, quarterback Travon Boykin threw an eight-yard touchdown pass for the game-winning score. Yeah, and, you know, I, the, these two teams are just so tough, and I'll be interested to see how the Big 12 decides to take this moving forward, particularly when you have a team like Baylor, uh, a team like DCU. So it really doesn't come down to the Big 12. It's more of those individual schools because mm-hmm. you look at Oklahoma and their out-of-conference schedule has been habitually much more uh, competitive than those two schools. And you, know, you, you have the, the SEC battle yearly now with them in Tennessee, uh, and they've also always set up some other different rivalry games uh, where you know, you're going to see them go up against uh, a different high-level competition, whereas – 
you know, the best team between Baylor and uh, between Baylor and TCU combined, the best team that they faced is Minnesota all year outside of conference. So uh, we'll see how that changes for them and how that much, how much that will affect the college football playoff rankings for them moving forward. But, you know, Corey Coleman is obviously the guy that everyone talks about. He hasn't made any mention of whether or not he's going to stay and stay in school or whether he's going to come out. I think that if I'm, if you're uh, a Baylor player right now, you got to be thinking, hey, next year Seth Russell's going to come back healthy. If Corey Coleman comes back, you know we're going to be in position for a title run. They're going to lose Shock Linwood, who's who's their runner and who's been uh, very very productive. I'm not crazy about Linwood as a as a pro prospect at this point, but uh, they got to be feeling pretty good. So I'll be interested to see if Coleman decides to enter. But he's had such a prolific year, no question. His stock may not be any higher than it is now. So. Certainly the allure of chasing the national championship, staying for another year in college, but possibly, and I don't know where he would rank. I mean, he will be one of the top receiver prospects, so you figure that's first round. That's You would think, that's yeah. guaranteed money. That's, uh, right that's, 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 that's going to be the question. All right, next one, uh, staying in the Big 12. You mentioned Oklahoma. They made a bold statement for its college football playoff hopes with a 58-23 to 23 win over Oklahoma State, a team – that started 10-0 and now has lost two straight games. Yeah, Oklahoma, and look, they, they're getting great quarterback play right now, and that's been a big part of of their success. Baker Mayfield is playing at a high, a very, very high level. I love the receiver, Sterling Shepard, and he's a guy that stood out to me every single time I've watched him. Uh, to me, just comes off as the prototypical slot receiver. And, and what's funny is I was actually talking about this the other day uh, with somebody where I was not a big Tyler Lockett guy last year coming out of Kansas State. I, you know, I've, I had some questions about him. I think he why? played well, right, so, well. So why were you not a big fan you know, of him? A lot of people thought he was a great route runner. I thought he had the ability to be great, but I didn't see a guy that was consistently good at some of the little things as a route runner. There were times, yeah, he, he executed double moves great and just, you know, was able to break defenders' ankles that way. But I didn't see a guy, oh, yeah, if he's going to run you know, a deep dig that was going to consistently uh, you know, hit it with good technique, uh, a guy that changed up his stride length early on in the down to try and see if he can gain separation that way. Uh, I didn't consistently see that from Lockett. I see some of those things from, from Shepard. Uh, and I see great hands. I see a guy that can win after the catch. I see a guy that can go up and win at the highest point, even though he's not the biggest receiver. Uh, a guy that's really, really impressive. He reminds me of Tyler Lockett when I watch him, but I like Shepard more. And I, I, I'm a big fan of Shepard. Are you scared? Not scared. That's not the right word. Are you nervous to now cloud your future evaluations of players saying, I missed on Tyler Lockett, so here's why. And maybe I guess it's something you learn from in the evaluation process. Sure. But- uh, I wouldn't say that it affects it too, too much. Uh, that's a good point, though. Maybe uh, in the back of my mind that creeps in. It's a process question. It's a process Great question. Great process no question. question. All right. Florida State, Florida. This is dramatic. I know. See, we have BT in the house now. Now we got, we, we're starting to ramp the it up. Songs, the drops, and everything, of course. Florida State's routed the Gators 27 to 2. I mean, obviously, you'd want to talk about Dalvin Cook, but he's a true sophomore. Yeah. No 183 question. yards, two touchdowns. Uh, Florida is playing in the SEC title game, so they can still play spoiler to Alabama's hopes for a playoff spot. But uh, Florida State, Florida, the Seminoles crushing the Gators. Yeah, and I think that really the if you're going to talk about who the best player overall in that game was, <clears throat> I would say it was Florida State corner Jalen Ramsey, a guy that – uh, I have really, really loved since the first time I watched him last year against Miami where he made a number of different plays. He played that star position in that defense a year ago where 
Uh, he played as a safety and base, came down and played in the nickel, played inside, outside, over the tackle as an edge rusher, you know, played just all over the field and made a number of different plays. He's a great athlete. He shows natural ball skills. He's physical against the run. Uh, I think he's the total package. He's got great size for an outside corner. I'm really, really excited to watch this kid even more this year. We'll see if he does declare uh, for the NFL draft. But a guy that's got all the physical tools you want. I think that, to me, when I watch him, I see no question he's an NFL corner. Some have some have questioned whether or not they think he's an NFL corner. Some say, okay, well, he could be you know, a nice corner, or he could be Eric Berry uh, and be an outstanding safety. So we'll see. It's I, not a bad thing there. No, so. exactly. I, but I, to me, I see a top-shelf NFL corner. Uh, and I'm, I'm excited to see Ramsey Moore. Uh, to me, he's the best player in that game. I've been uh, Googling for the last few seconds, what was the name of that Fallout Boy song that was the theme song or the every time that ESPN went to commercial during the college football playoff uh, last year? That was, uh, what do you call it? The, we play it. We play it at, at LFF all the time. It's the... Uh, Immortal. Yes. It was the Immortal correct. song. But it's like, that was like, you heard that song so many times that it was like, is there another song that... <laughs> I mean, it's not a bad song. I like the song a lot, yes. It could be worse. But still. <laughs> uh, going back to the corners there, do you like Ramsey or Vernon Hargraves of Florida more? I, li- I like Ramsey much more, without question. So I, I know that was a question that was asked on Twitter. Uh, That's why I figured, you know, to bring it out of way, now. Might as well. I, I like, I, like I said, I think Ramsey is a top 10 pick as a corner. Um, and to me, he brings the complete package. So... Uh, I think Hargreaves is a good player, no question about it. Has the quickness, has the ball skills, is instinctive. A little bit undersized, and that'll be the knock on him. So I'm excited to see what his real res- real measurement is when he does check in at the Combine, if he does declare for the draft. Ramsey was number five. Hargreaves was number six on Mel Kuyper's most recent Interesting. So right. We'll see. I don't I know how many corners have gone in the first round that have been below 5'11", we'll say. In the last Jason couple of years. Yeah, Man, and that He's might be the only one. only one that comes to mind, exactly. And I don't think that was a year where there were a ton of – there was Justin Gilbert, right? That was yeah, the Gilbert the year. Bradley, Bradley Roby. right? Yeah. And Roby would have been a higher pick if not for off-field, I think. So, yeah, I don't know. That's that's a tough – got to be special. you got to be special. To and that's, that's the, the case that's with anything. But anytime you're undersized to your position, you've got to bring extraordinary traits in some of the other areas to kind of make up for it. All right, the last game we're going to touch on, the Egg Bowl. Ole Miss scored 21 first-quarter points in a 38-27 to victory over Mississippi State. A lot of people wonder about the pro prospects of Dak Prescott, you know, Heisman Trophy candidate coming to the season. It was sacked six times yep. in the loss. Yep, and that, that was, that's my number one issue with, with Prescott is uh, a guy that holds on to the ball a little bit too long. And, and, you know, a lot of the things you say about Prescott, you could have said a year ago about Brett Hundley. Uh, there was a lot more buzz at this point last year about Hundley than I would say there is oh, about yeah. Prescott. But he's got a good arm. He's mobile. He's a good kid. He does a lot of the, you know, does everything right off the field. He's got a quick release. Uh, there are a lot of things you can like uh, uh, about Dak Prescott. But ultimately, I think what you've got is a day three developmental type player. The question is, is that Brett Hundley was a sixth round pick last year in a quarterback class that wasn't very deep. This quarterback class... Uh, I'm being 100%. This is 100% truth, right? Coming out. This is a hot take. <laughs> it's gonna be. A, this might be my hot take of uh, of the day. This is the deepest quarterback class, and I have to go back and look. Definitely since I can remember, in terms of like one through, we'll say 14, 
This is probably. I mean, there are a number of different guys that you can point out. Say, in 2012, yep. you go back to I think it's, the I think luck RG three. I think it's and deep, just look at the other guys who came out. I think it's, I think it's deeper. It. Again, yeah, because to me, there you can point to so many different guys, and we'll see which juniors declare. So we'll see what juniors decide to come out. But you can point to so many different players and say, "Yep, that guy's." And he might, you know, you might not say, "Oh yeah, he's a top ten pick." But you can say, yep, I could see a team taking him in the second or third round, or I could see him taking, you know, and he's a legitimate fourth or fifth round guy they try and develop. Because there have been guys that have gotten drafted in day three the past few years where I think it was more like, hey, there's not really anybody else out there. We need a quarterback. Like, we got to bring this guy in. You know, you talk about a guy like Kevin Hogan. You can talk about a guy like Cody Kessler. Uh, There's the kid from Western Kentucky. There's the Liberty kid. I mean, there's there's a ton of quarterbacks (laughs) out there that a lot of people are are really high on. So we'll see. I was going to say the Liberty one. People are, there we go. Thank you, B2. There it is. Oh. Oh, it's not immorals. No, I was, I know the one thing of. It's, it's called Centuries. Centuries, yes. Centuries. I looked up Immortals. I'm like, this isn't the song. No, I no, no, totally no, different no. Song, but yeah, no. Every time they go to break, this is the song they would yes. have every single time. So exactly. once you said that, I was like, I know what he's talking about. Yeah, but definitely not Immortals. My, my apologies on that, so. Morals was in the uh, Big Hero Six movie, uh, okay. Disney movie. So, there which is go. why I was I was kind of like I don't think the two were together, but <laughs> that's what I was going with at the point. So I, I just went with it. You know what? If you're gonna be wrong, you're just gonna be wrong 100. percent You're just gonna go with you it. You gotta ride so, it. So thank you very Own much, it. BT, for for saving me there. And uh, that's gonna do it for the draft buzz segment here of the Journey to the Draft podcast presented by AAA. It's time now for Pick Six. Now it's time for pick six. All right, so since we were talking about quarterbacks at the end of the last segment, I might as well start here with the, the quarterback position. So for pick six this week, we are picking six players who are going to be featured in conference championship weekend. And uh, I really don't want to give this guy any credit after the game-winning drive that he led the Stanford Cardinal on on Saturday nights. But Kevin Hogan, senior quarterback, uh, struggled early in the season. But, you know, by all accounts, it was his best performance of his career against Notre Dame. And, you know, at the end of the game, 30 seconds left, they need a field goal to win. He was able to lead them down the field. You know, every time we watch Kevin Hogan, and, and look, there's, he doesn't have a great arm. His release is all kinds of jacked up. I mean, they're, they're his, his throwing mechanics will need, probably need some tweaking if you think you, that, that kind of thing can be fixed. Uh, I don't know. That's a good question. But when you watch him, he does some things every single time that make me think, wow, that's an NFL type play. And it's again, it's not because he makes this great throw from, you know, a 25 yard dart from the opposite hash, you know, on an outbreaking route. It's more, I'll go back to Look, they're playing USC this week in the PAC 12 title. You go back to the, the, when these two teams played earlier in the year, it was late in the game. It was early fourth quarter. Stanford was up by three points. They're down in the red zone. He comes to the line of scrimmage and he sees, hey, the, the outside linebacker is lined up over the, uh, the tight end flexed in the slot, but he's shaded a little bit inside and there's a safety stack behind him. He reads that it's going to be a pressure, goes to the line of scrimmage, changes up the protection to pick up the blitz, takes the snap, drops back, hits that tight end on a crossing route and almost scores a touchdown. Those are the kind of plays where, wow, that's a great pre-snap read by Hogan where he saw the pressure. It was a pro-style defense. He said, okay, this is, this is exactly what they're getting ready to do. Let's change the protection up. They block it up, perfectly executed by Hogan. Uh, and that's the kind of thing where a, a team's going to say, hey, this guy's not going to be you know, a number one starting quarterback. But 
why not bring this guy in to try and be a backup? I think this guy's got an NFL future in that in that kind of a role. Uh, and Hogan really, really impressed me in that game. Anytime I've watched him, he makes plays like that. He moves pretty well in the pocket. He throws with anticipation. He does a lot of those little things really well. Uh, really impressed with Hogan from that respect. All right, the Cardinal, they clash with USC, a team that will not be coached by Chip Kelly anytime no. in the near future. No. For the Pac-12 championship. Uh, second player, you know, we're not going quarterback here. This team is quarterbacked by Connor Cook, one of the prospects who we talked about. But how about his go-to target senior receiver, Aaron Burbridge, who has 75 catches, 1,158 yards, and seven touchdowns in the Big Ten Championship showdown between undefeated Iowa and the Michigan State Spartans? I know this is a, uh, one of Brian Thomas's favorite players in the NFL draft. I don't mean to chime in, but <laughs> that play he made Penn against State. Penn State. Yeah, I know. That was, was something, huh? Unbelievable. Great balance. Great yard after catch. But I mean, look, Burbridge. Every, yeah. Every single time that I've watched Burbridge, I've been really, really impressed because he's not the he's not an A-plus athlete, but a very good route runner, very strong hands, good good after the catch, does a lot of little things well. Every time I've, I've watched him, he's reminded me a bit of Anquan Bolden just because he's kind of got that savvy ability over the middle of the field, can make plays like that where you wouldn't expect – uh, an Anquan Bolden to make a play like that. And, and Burbridge does it week in, week out. He's been very, very productive. Really has come out of nowhere for Michigan State this year and has been a very big playmaker. He's going to get matched up this week uh, against an, an, an Iowa corner in Desmond King, who is a junior. Doesn't really get a ton of love nationally, but Desmond King is one of the top underclassmen at the position. Uh, very excited for that matchup. Might be one of my top matchups, I would say, one-on-one for this coming weekend. Ooh, will we see it in our Saturday schedule? Mm-hmm. Or are you going to use it for the... You know, college football draft podcast with it's the uh, college draft podcast with my Ross Tucker. I will probably use it for both. So there you go. Look at that. Let's go to the SEC championship game, Florida against Alabama. And uh, this is a player. Speaking of the college draft podcast, apologies for botching the name. It's all right. Uh, I was listening this past week's episode was very good with Thank Mike Mayock on, and uh, you asked about which of the Alabama players on defense stands out to you and he goes Reggie Ragland and yeah. I could just tell that instantly you just perked up and were like oh I really like him I, lo- I love Ragland yeah. I-, I think he's the total package at linebacker he's athletic he's physical he can come downhill he's instinctive does everything you want from an intangible standpoint he's a great leader off the field everything if you read everything all the reports I'm really really excited about what that kid can be I think that he should be a first round pick and one of the first linebackers taken Ragland to me is is the total package. Again, he can defend the run. I think some have questioned his abilities to play in man coverage, but uh, we'll we'll see. I, I, I'm excited to see Ragland. I really really hope he goes down to the Senior Bowl and decides to play. All right, now we'll stay in that matchup. We'll go to the Florida defensive line and Jonathan Bullard, a player who you've been bullish on in the past. Probably, I would say that Bullard has been my favorite player on the Florida team this year and, and going back to last year, just because he's a great run defender. I think he's he's special because he's got the ability to be effective in both a one-gap scheme and a two-gap scheme. You know, I, he's got the ability to penetrate in the opposing backfield. He can hold up at the point of attack as a two-gapping defensive end. They play him inside a three technique and a nose tackle. And then other times he'll play as a two-point end off the, off the edge. So very excited about his positional versatility. I think he can end up being pretty effective really for any kind of scheme that he goes to the next level. So I'm excited about Bullard. I was about to say, we had no background music for a second. It was weird. Do you get like used to it like throughout the course of the show? It's been a bit of an adjustment. I'm coachable, though, so I can work through it. Bullard has, a, by the way, 15 and a half tackles for loss yeah. this year. 
we'll go into Fran's backyard, the Temple Owls, playing in the ACT title game yeah. against Houston. And uh, you didn't want to give any love to the Owls. You instead we've, was, we've, we've, we've got a good amount of love to the I Owls. Know. I know. You wanted to feature William Jackson the third cornerback with three picks on the year. Two of them have been returned for touchdowns. Yeah, and I'll tell you what. Some people are talking about Jackson as a potential sleeper, as a first-round pick, you know, as a guy that could sneak into the, the back end of round one. Uh, so I, I, was, I was excited to watch him. And so I, I turned it on earlier in this year. I want to say I watched him against Louisville. And I came away wanting a lot more. I didn't, I didn't see the athleticism. I didn't see the instincts. I didn't see the physicality or the technique. I do want to watch. It was only one game. So I'll, I'll, I do want to watch more, and I'm opening myself up to changing my mind potentially. But he is going to the Senior Bowl, so I'll get to see him in person. Uh, I'll say, though, that I, I wasn't overly impressed. He's, got a, he's a big kid and should, you know, has definitely has some potential from that respect. But uh, he's got a big matchup this week. Robbie Anderson, uh, and they've had a lot, of, uh, a lot of production as well on the other side from Bryant, the, the true freshman receiver. So I think that he's going to have a big matchup on his hands this week against Temple. Uh, it'll, it'll be a good opportunity for him to st- to shine in this conference title game. I, I want to see more out of Jackson, though. All right, I guess you could say we're saving the best for last. Clemson, the Tigers, enter the weekend number one in the college football playoff rankings. They play North Carolina in the ACC championship game. How about defensive end Shaq Lawson? Eight and a half sacks, 20 and a half tackles for loss in 2015. He's been r- ridiculously disruptive. Uh, a guy that every time I've watched him, I've come away very, very impressed. You know, I, I'm not ready to say necessarily that he's a top 20 pick, uh, but he uses his hands really well. Uh, he He's able to hold up at the point of attack. He's not like Vic Beasley. You know, Vic Beasley was 220 pounds, uh, showed the ability to bend the corner and turn the edge, can rush the passer and do a lot of different things <laughs> from a movement standpoint. But this kid is 6'3", 275 pounds, shows the ability to hold up at the point of attack can do a lot of different things that Beasley couldn't do. So I'm excited to see how high he ultimately gets drafted. All right. That's going to do it for our pick six six segment featuring players who are playing in the uh, championship games, conference championship games this weekend. So uh, speaking of last but not least, it's going to be time for your questions in our draft mailbag. Now it's time to hear from you, the fans, in the draft mailbag. Last but not least here on the Journey to the Draft podcast presented by AAA Draft Mailbag. Your questions, and uh, our first one comes from Oh Wow Hmm, good friend of ours on Twitter. Uh, basically asking that there are a lot of systems, offensive systems, that make it difficult to evaluate players. You know, We talked about Baylor and Corey Coleman earlier in the program. Is there a similar type of analogy for defense? Is there a defensive scheme? or teams that are tougher to evaluate for the next level. The first one that comes to mind for me would be Alabama, to me. Well, here's the thing, is that part of it is that not necessarily the defensive scheme on a week-to-week basis, but more so how do those teams defend those spread offenses. So you might see less reps of a guy, you know, pre- pressed against the tight end, you know, if you're watching a safety and you're like, oh, well, I got to I gotta try and find a play where he's pressed up against the tight end. I don't really see many. Or, you know, you, there's just different examples of that. But I'll say one scheme defensively that's kind of tough is um, uh, TCU. They like to play a lot where you have this big nickel. And almost, and really, you can see it. Here's a perfect example. Duke. They have uh, Jeremy Cash, 
Okay, who's the safety from who's been very, very productive. I think he plays the the spur or the star, whatever the name of the position is that he plays down there. The striker, that's what he is. He's the strike defender, okay? And it's almost like a big nickel. They play with four down linemen, uh, two linebackers, and then the he's that big nickel defender, almost plays like a linebacker. And a lot of people are saying, man, this kid is so productive. He's so great against the run, and they play him over the slot, and he can do, he can do everything he wants. Just because they use him that way doesn't mean that that's what he's that he's going to be able to do that at the next level, and that's going to be my big question. Come, you know, watching him moving forward uh, as we get through this draft process, because every time I've watched him, whether it was last year as a junior or this year as a senior, even though they use him that way, that doesn't necessarily mean that that's what he will be at the next level. Because I saw a guy that was kind of questionable in terms of his quickness, questionable in terms of his instincts. Look, he's really, really good against the run. Uses his hands well. Can hold up at the point of attack, and uh, you know knows how to set the edge and do things that way. But you know, we're talking about a safety, a guy that's going to be able to do that. He's he doesn't play single high. He doesn't play in the two shell. So he's going to have to learn how to do those things if he's going to stay at the safety position. And he's not playing in the slot. I mean, he's not Malcolm Jenkins. He, that's not the kind of athlete he is. So uh, he's either going to have to commit to being a linebacker, and that's what he's going to be, or he's going to have to learn how to play the safety position on the back end. That's going to be a translation. So it's it's things like that, and we saw it uh, in the past. There was the the kid Dion Bailey from uh, from mm-hmm. USC who played a similar type role. We're going to say the same thing about Sua Cravens from USC this year, plays a similar type role. And you know what what are the questions? Sua Cravens, everybody calls him a linebacker. Nobody calls uh, nobody calls Jeremy Cash a linebacker. Everyone calls him a safety. So those are the type of systems, really, uh, you know, where you're trying to evaluate just that one position. And I, I would say that when you talk to uh, the Greg Cosells and the Daniel Jeremiah's of the world, the Mike Mayocks, they'll, they'll say that the hardest position to evaluate, and you obviously you kind of, let's say you remove quarterback, is safety. And some will say that it's safety over quarterback because, uh, you know, it's so hard to try and find, you know, plays that are easily translatable to the next level just because of how offenses play and then how defenses are forced to deploy those players. Uh, it's very, very hard to try and find enough. So whereas, you know, some guys you have to watch, let's say uh, for a normal player in any other position, you want to watch three to four games. A lot of guys will have to watch seven, eight games for a safety just to get the same amount of translatable reps, uh, you know, to, uh, when you're doing your tape study. I was th- the reason Alabama, specifically the secondary, came to mind is because in recent years you've seen a lot of their players go high in the draft and not have the success in the NFL. I mean, they're obviously very well coached. It's almost pro-style coaching they're getting at the college level. But do they kind of hit – peak too early hit their ceiling go into the nfl and then you know they might be ahead going into the nfl but they don't make any further development yeah i guess that would be more of a a culture or just the way that the team is built not not necessarily the the x's the, the scheme of what they're playing exactly. what they're asking yes. you know that's why everyone loved haha clinton dicks because it was like oh yep here he is playing the slot here he is playing single high here he is playing two shell here he is playing underneath uh coverage in zone like you can see okay this is Easily translatable. You can see it's it's apples to apples. Whereas, you know, when you're watching Jeremy Cash, it's apples to oranges. You know, it's the complete. You you don't. He can't do what he's doing right now at the at the at the NFL level, at least in my opinion. So, it's very interesting to watch. BT. Well, what, what do you think? Sometimes those systems, hide, and you hit my point, just hide there. Maybe they're not NFL talent, or maybe they're not ready for the next level. But they're playing in these really these NFL schemes getting NFL coaching, like C-Mac said, and it's kind of, it's hiding their skill level. Well, that's what Greg Cosell said a lot last year when talking about Landon Collins. And he said, coaches tell you what they think a player can or cannot do by where they put, by them. where they put them, you know, and Landon Collins very often was the, was the dime linebacker 
for that reason. I mean, he came down and he played, in essence, he played the linebacker position because when they were on dime and teams were trying to spread them out, he didn't want them. He didn't want Landon Collins, Nick Saban, didn't want Landon Collins playing out in space. He wanted him close to the line of scrimmage and he would play man-to-man at times on tight ends or on running backs because they didn't want him playing against slot receivers and they didn't want him playing on the deep end of the field. I mean, they, they wanted him close to the line of scrimmage uh, against lesser athletes or just to help defend against the run. I've had that same question where the, the D Milners, the Drake Kirkpatrick's, mm-hmm. I mean, you see these guys getting drafted first round, first round, and I'm, but you haven't seen it translate to the next level. So uh, Alabama came to my mind immediately when you asked that question. Yeah, I, th- I think that there are just defenses where, you know, you like I know, like, OK, if I'm if I'm watching offensive players. And I want to, and I look at their schedule, and I say, okay, who are the pro style defenses? I'd much rather watch them against pro style defenses because I can see, okay, these are this this is easily translatable. So if a guy's got uh, if a receiver's got Clemson on the schedule, oh well, Clemson they play. I know every year they play a ton of press man, and that's something that he's going to see a lot at the next level. So I want to watch. They play Alabama. Oh, there's a lot of NFL concepts there. Michigan now they play a ton of uh, NFL concepts there on defense. So th- those are the kind of things you, you try and look for because it's easier to then translate. All right. Uh, speaking of particular prospects on defense, OsnapU on Twitter wants to know about Robert Kimdichie from Ole Miss. Could be a potential number one overall pick in the upcoming draft. Uh, OsnapU's thoughts are that he flashes every now and then but seems to take a lot of plays off. Yeah, you know, I, I, I've studied him from his sophomore year, and I've watched a game or two this year. And he has gotten better this year. You know, I think that last year, my quest, my big question with him was, can he hold up against the run? Because there were times I remember against LSU where he was getting pushed off the ball. Well, Collins get, got him a couple times. Vidal Alexander got him a couple times uh, where they were able to move him off his spot and remove him in the running game. And that's that would be an issue at the next level. Um, I think he's gotten a little bit better. And I think that that Alabama game, he really, really flashed. And I, I can't wait to study it even further because – he was uh, just watching the game on TV. You could just see how disruptive he was and you know how active he was. But the ability to hold up at the point of attack, you could see that he had improved there. So uh, you know, I, I'm not going to say that he's take that he takes a lot, pl- a lot of plays off. I do want to watch more of him, and I know that he played a lot for them. You know, they'll play sometimes. They'll play three. Sometimes they'll line up out a defensive end. They'll play him, at, you know, a nose tackle and some sub packages. They play him on offense. You know, to to chagrin, you know, sometimes because he got a concussion against Memphis because he was a lead fullback on a play. I thought that's a whole separate yeah. discussion, but uh, you know, they, for a guy that plays both ways for a good chunk of the game, there are going to be some times where he does take some plays off as well. So we'll see. Have you done Have you done your initial D line rankings? Uh, I've started to a little bit. The guys that I've watched, I, I feel like I've got a pretty good feel. You know, right. I, I, there's a look, the, especially the senior class. There are a lot of talented defensive linemen. And when you factor in the juniors, it's a really good group. Uh, you know, and I'm going to forget some guys, but you know, you've got DeForest Buckner, you've got Kenny Clark from UCLA. Uh, you've got, uh, Austin Johnson from Penn state, Ashawn Robinson and Jerron Reed from Alabama. So where does Kim Kimdichie, I think, because now you're talking the different positions. In terms of a pure three technique, Kimdichie's probably the best. Okay. You know, and those guys, the rest of those guys aren't potential like, oh yeah, quick off the ball, win, you know, win in one gap and, and penetrate into the backfield. That's not some of these other guys' games. DeForest Buckner's not that. Uh, Kenny Clark's not that. A lot of people love this. Love Andrew Billings from Baylor, and the the one I've only done one game. The one game I watched, I didn't see it, so I, I do want to watch more. Can't just judge one game. Oh, so I know exactly. Well, he's a junior. You know, he's a junior, so I'm not going to put too much effort into him until he's declared. So, 
All right. The uh, last one comes from at Matt Grumbrecht on Twitter. Wants to pretty much has a scenario for the Eagles. All right. All right. Right now, the Eagles, if they were, if the draft was, you know, today based on a record, they would have the number eight overall pick. So at number eight, if it's Paxton Lynch is on the board, or if Ronnie Stanley, the tackle from Notre Dame, is on the board, which way would the Eagles go? And before I'll, I'll uh, give yeah. the floor to you, it, you know, certainly. I haven't watched Paxton Lynch in anything from an in-depth perspective to really have a good grasp of him. Obviously, he's put up outstanding numbers. He's led Memphis to a great season. If if he is deemed to be a potential fit to be the guy for the Eagles, certainly I think you go that direction. We still have to figure out what Sam Bradford's going to be these last five games. You know, I was just filming 360 with Dave Spadaro earlier, and the biggest thing is these last five games you want to see – Bradford plays just to get a better evaluation because you have to make no a decision doubt. on him yeah. at the end of the season. You know he's going to be a free agent, no question. So you got to decide from that standpoint. If they feel that Lynch can be the guy, sure, that's fine. But of obviously, the other big question mark is going to be how do you fix the offensive line? And I think Stanley would be a very good fit from what I've seen in that in that role as well. Yep. So the one thing I'll say too about the quarterback position. Obviously, if you don't have one, you always take one. But the, the other thing, especially at this stage, the quarterback, more than any other position, ultimately comes down to not just the on-field and what a guy can do on the field, but also the comfort that coaches and, and general managers have off the field and owners have off the field because uh, we've seen talented quarterbacks drop because, the, you know, not necessarily because on-field. Look, I thought Zach Mettenberger was one of the top, and he was, no question, and that's kind of held true. I think that he's... Uh, if, if, Zach, if Zach Mettenberger had gone in the second round instead of the sixth, I don't know that the, uh, that the Titans would have drafted Marcus Mariota because they would have, everyone would have said it would have been like Derek Carr. Everyone would have said, oh, man, they just had a talented second-round pick that started mm-hmm. 10 games for them and, and played pretty well. How can they do that? I thought Zach Mettenberger was that kind of a talent, and I think a lot of people thought that he was that kind of a talent, uh, and he fell because you know, he had the injury and also there were some off-field issues. You know, I think that all – and Teddy Bridgewater, same deal. Everyone thought he was a first-round, you know, number one pick. No question, he's the number one. Teddy Bridgewater, uh, number one pick. Fell because, you know, a lot of people, there was the pro day, and, you know, people kind of questioned his physical ability. But then also, you know, everyone, you, t- you heard all the, the, the rumors about, oh, you know, he's, he's kind of quiet, he's, yeah. he's introverted. You know, is, is he that guy that's going to be a rah-rah, you know, lead the team kind of guy? Quarterback is very much about the comfort that coaches have, that GMs have, that owners have with those players. So, that's why we can talk about Jared Goff and what his skill set is. We can talk about Paxton Lynch and Christian Hackenberg and Connor Cook and all these guys. Ultimately, until these teams start meeting with those guys, that's why I, even a guy like Carson Wentz, no one is really talking about Carson Wentz right now. Carson Wentz could go to the Senior Bowl and he's going to end up being a, a first round pick, and no one's talking about him. He, or he could end up being, you know, he could go and teams might be turned off and he might be a third or fourth round pick. So, I'm. I'm intrigued to see what happens here with the quarterback class because I think there are a lot of guys, like I said, that have a lot of talent. But I think once these teams start getting involved, and, they, and now you start, you have the obviously the the, the the team scouts, the area scouts that have been in there, they all have a good idea. But now once the meetings start and you start having having one on ones, you know, now the the Adam Kaplan's and the Albert Breers and the Ian Rappaport's will start getting a sense of what the narrative is on all these guys. We get the agents involved too, no question. You know, that's that's such a big part of it. So we'll get a sense of how teams feel about these guys moving forward. 
All right. I think that's going to do it for us here on this edition of the Journey to the Draft podcast presented by AAA. Thank you so much for your questions. If you haven't already, make sure to subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. Make sure to rate and comment. Let us know what you want to hear on future editions. We're starting to get into that part where, look, it's going to be all-star game season soon enough. You know, get into combine. I mean, we are going to get into the mix of this really, really soon. So uh, thank you very much for joining the ride early, and it's only going to get better from here. For producer Brian Thomas behind the scenes, for Fran Duffy, I'm Chris McPherson. Thanks again. You've been listening to the Journey to the Draft podcast presented by AAA.